Today on There's a Policy for That, Susan Pendergrass speaks with Chris Bronlick. Chris is the former president of the Thomas Jefferson Institute for Public Policy in Virginia, where he currently serves as a senior advisor. They discuss education funding, trends in student test scores, and more. Find more podcasts at showmeinstitute.org. I mean, look, I'm really happy to have Chris Bronlick on this morning because uh, we were just saying before uh, we started recording this that um, education finance, the way our public schools, K-12 schools are financed, is a big black box of mystery that almost no one knows anything about. And survey after survey after survey, when you ask the general public, when you ask parents, when you ask voters how much we spend per student, they're wrong. Basically, people continue to say $5,000 per student, and it's triple that. It's probably fifteen. dollars And for some reason, uh, it's just a mystery. It's like the tax code. People don't understand how they work. And some states, we're going to talk today about Virginia and Missouri, but some states are incredibly complicated. And some states are trying to just make it really easy and just let parents take their state funding to the school of their choice. It seems like Virginia, where you are located, um, it was still in the weeds in Missouri. Somewhat is too. Our funding formula was passed in 2004. When was Missouri's current way of funding schools passed? How long has it been around? 20 years at least, right? Missouri, Virginia. I'm sorry, Virginia's. Yeah, okay. Virginia's. Uh, Virginia. This methodology was born in around 1971, 72. Holy moly, that's 50 years. Now they they've they've played at the at the margins with it. You know they. Sure suddenly decide they want to fund some reading then they suddenly decide they want to fund math and and they go back and forth but but pretty much the the uh the system was formulated uh when virginia was coming out of the segregation era uh into the and and they had to figure out a way to prove that they were equalizing the schools so they would determine what schools ought what what in the state's view schools ought to have um, and then they would fund those programs, run them through what we call a local composite index to reflect the, you know, the difference between uh, the, the wealth in a Petersburg city versus a Fairfax County. Um, but it's funding systems. It's not funding students. It's funding systems. It's funding programs. And it is complicated. You said teachers, uh, parents don't understand it. Taxpayers don't understand it. Teachers don't understand it. School administrators don't understand it. The worst part of all is legislators don't yeah. understand it. Yeah, I spoke to a legislator once in a different state who said, we're the ones passing the laws and we don't even understand it. And I mean, openly, right? But that's that's a problem. And Virginia's <laughs> is particularly weird in that it involves the number of teachers, right? It sort of backs into how many teachers you need and then the teacher salary. I mean, that's a very, I haven't really seen that in other states. Um. Yeah, I mean, you're, 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 uh, so you're a million just, years ago, give or take, yeah. <laughs> I did a study in Virginia education finance, and um, I uh, was surprised to recently discover that it hasn't been updated, uh, the funding formula. And that one was pretty Byzantine because you, um, like the state sets standards of quality and then they back into it based on the number of teachers that are determined to be needed. And by the average salary and, yeah. and by the number of teachers that the state determines is needed. Um, regardless of what the problems and challenges might be in that in that school, you have a a paragraph from that from that study that I use repeatedly with people, and then and legislators and say at the end of it, do you understand it? And if, if, if I'll take two minutes to read it, not even. To you can read this thing that I wrote that no one understands. Yes, 
Okay, because let's that, do it. That is because <laughs> it is the most succinct description of what it is. I think that's and right. Okay, go. Read it. To, to determine the basic aid associated with each student in a school division, the maximum number of teachers the state will the state will fund for each grade level in each division is calculated based on the average daily membership and predetermined guidelines for the minimum and maximum number of students per type of teacher. The average salary for each type of position is then multiplied by the number of positions required by the enrollment to arrive at an, at an allowable total salary cost. This number is divided by the number of students to derive an average basic aid dollar amount per average daily membership, known as the basic aid PPA, which is then run Ridiculous. through what we call the, the local composite index, again, based on, on the wealth of Now, read that to somebody, you understand it, and it's it's like listening to Abbott and Costello do who's on first. It is. Yeah, and no one understands it. Uh, I would say federal Title I takes the cake on this one. That's the worst I've ever seen. But it's also kind of circular, right? It's sort of like, uh, you know, we we put in the number of teachers we think we need for the number of students to determine how much we're going to pay for each of the students to use to buy to buy teachers. Right. It's sort of like a circular. Right. It doesn't really make sense. And I am surprised. And, you know, generally speaking, what I really want to talk about is like what what I have been seeing in the last year is several states. Uh, more than five have passed programs where parents can now take their state funding to the school of their choice, public or private. I was an example. You can take $7,500 to the school of your choice. But Iowa has a funding formula that is not really uh, ready for that program because in Iowa they have you know income protections. Some people call them hold harmless, where you get to keep counting kids even after they leave. Missouri's got an egregious income protection for counting kids. And what I think is uh, true is that many states need to redo their funding formulas, and they probably should consider redoing them before the implementing these, every student can take their state funding wherever they want. Now, Virginia's talked about school choice, right? We talk a lot about it. And the new governor, right? It, it was yeah, like, I talked mean, about a lot because apparently he listened to parents and parents were upset. Now you mentioned, or you've said offline that you were on the Fairfax County School Board for a long time. Right. I mean, I was on the on the school board for eight years, uh, but it was a long time ago. It was nowhere near as left wing as it's become. Um, we have in Virginia a small school school choice program, uh, Education Improvement Scholarship Tax Credit, which a child can use a, a uh, scholarship that they get from an approved. Someone makes a donation to an approved scholarship foundation they get a 65% state tax credit, which is horribly low. And, and then they can use that uh, scholarship from this to attend a, a private school. And, and the funding for that is based on whatever the state SOQ is, which is they're going through this formula decided at the end of the school year. So no one really knows for sure what you're going to get yep. um, until you actually start getting it. And that can range anywhere from less than $3,000 in a wealthy area to $9,000 in, in a low-income area. Now, there, that's not a bad thing because there ought to be some variability based on, on ability of the parent to pay, but nonetheless, um, it's extraordinarily complex. Yeah, so do you think Virginia is ready to redo the formula? I think that um, 
the the joint legislative audit and review commission was asked to to review Virginia's state um, funding formula. Okay. And the way we we, I'm sure the left wanted to do it because they wanted to spend more money. The right wanted to do it because they wanted to show we were spending too much money. Um, and and it was it was something that they did. They spent quite some time doing it. I had talked to folks on that staff couple of years ago and I said you know we really ought to look at this concept of of weighting the student funding simplifying it make it so it's understandable to people because one of the things that happens is when nobody understands something nobody trusts it and that was true you know 15 16 years ago when you and I first started talking about this right. it's even more true now I mean, you just the entire national scene is seen as sort of superimposed on mm -hmm. even local decision making. Um, and and surprisingly, they they devoted a, a good chunk of the of the study to the idea that Virginia needs to move to this. Possibly, I think, because something like 30 states are, are using some form of um, money that is attached to a student yep. um, and only eight or nine, including Virginia, are still doing it the old-fashioned way. Through buildings. And, you know, obviously the pandemic threw a wrench into the entire system. And so that yeah. now people are moving around, and I see surveys repeatedly that parents kind of want their kids home one day a week or two days a week, and that high school students ought to be able to pick and choose classes from here and there and other programs outside of their public school. And we just don't have a funding formula that works for that. We're, we're in Virginia in particular, like we're still looking at schools. We're funding yeah. buildings and kids I mean, all over the place. It 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 is absurd to be using a a funding formula that was created less than ten years after after Fairfax County was the biggest dairy producing county in the state. <laughs> um, right. it, it was it was created for a specific point in time, um, but the world has changed since then. I mean, it was. You know, my my line, this isn't Ozzy and Harriet anymore. You 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 can't just sort of get along. We recognize that that it takes more to educate some kids. It takes more to educate a low-income kid who is, comes to the school without the kind of background that the child of a doctors and lawyers have. We have a, an explosion in the number of um, uh, limited English proficient students. And, and there's been an increase in the number of students uh, identified as special education, even in Virginia, which does not currently reward localities for identifying people um, as, as special education. So but do you think it's possible, given the new set of, uh, given new context, to design a funding formula that could last, an, well, I don't think that would last 50 years, but could last some period of time, five to 10 years, without having to be continuously redone i mean those in 1971 in virginia they thought they were making something that would last forever right is it and i think it's is it possible it's technologically possible the question is whether it's politically possible okay and i think i mean one of the things i think that that those that want to take a look at this um because certainly it's it's to the advantage of school choice advocates to to do this to be able to identify clearly what what it costs the state to educate a child but, but frankly, it's to the advantage of the public school system, and most people are going to stay in the public school system. And the way we're funding now is is not adequate. It's antiquated and doesn't take into consideration the way the world is in the 21st century. I I, uh, 
I think it is possible, but I think they need to do what Tennessee did, which was, you know, an 18-month, two-year process of holding hearings, getting input, and trying to satisfy um, or at least acknowledge the, the concerns of an awful lot of people. You know, the perfect weighted student funding process would attach that money to the student, but more than that, send that money to the school level, to the school division level, empower localities to do what is right for the students. Um, the way it mostly is constructed now, as you well know, um, is while well, we've got this extra funding for reading teachers and we've got this extra funding for math teachers. And I remember talking to, when I was on the state board, talking to uh, uh, teachers and, and, and uh, principals and uh, school superintendents who would say, you know, I've got I've got extra money to do this. I don't need this. I actually need that. But that's what I'm getting the money for. So that's what I've got to do. And I mean, it, and then the the uh, the uh, CARES Act and the ARPA Act. I mean, the the infusion of COVID money, which was supposed to be spent on specific things, and I think a lot of school districts were like, we don't know what to do with the money, and it's sitting right. in an account somewhere because they. They feel paralyzed by it which is which is something i mean i remember I'll, I'll leave the person nameless but when i first started raising this when i was on the state board they they the um the response was well it's fine to empower principals and it's fine to but most of them aren't trained to do it they don't know how to do it um so that's another whole consideration that, yeah right i think this has to be a a, a process that is is not we're going to pass a law and do it and impose it on everybody. I think yeah. this really has to be a collaborative uh, effort to 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 get to doing what's best for kids and not necessarily what's best for systems or even for state legislators who want to make a headline. Yeah. So uh, just to get you up to speed on what's happening in Missouri, our, our funding formula also is, well, it's not that old. 2004, we had a, a court case in 96 where we had to fix it because it was inequitable, supposedly. But what they did is they locked in a income protection that basically says, or revenue protection that says, uh, you can either use property values from 2004 or from last year. And they didn't say from like uh, three years ago or last year. They literally said 2004. They put the year into the bill. And so now we have out of our 550 districts, 190 are using 2004 property values um, and then sort of letting the folks vote on property tax rates based on being able to keep that number, which is absurd and needs to be redone. And and uh, it's got other issues. And like you said, they throw in school safety. I did a report last year on the budget of our state education agency, which would be the state and federal funds. And the report was extremely long and probably more boring than that paragraph you read. And maybe no one, like it was one of those things that you would sort of measure the value by the weight of it, because that is how complicated the budget is at the state level for education. And it goes on for pages. And I list out all the programs that the money goes to and teacher of the year and patriotic. And there's just like so many places where the money goes to that you need to hire people to administer all these programs you know, with a huge department of education. And um, in our case, uh, test scores are flat or declining. And so I'm hearing that there's a little bit of momentum behind redoing our funding formula. And I know Tennessee basically did a great job in the last year or two, but it's like, it takes this kind of like groundswell, like are there legislators willing to take this on? Cause it's so big. And I'm sure the same is true in Virginia where it's like, are they going to take their political capital and invest in this major redo of the funding formula unless 
a lot more people are complaining. And I'm going to guess that people aren't really complaining because they don't know how it works. They, you, it's hard to complain what you don't know about and what, yep. what, what's very opaque. And and to be, I haven't talked to legislators about this. I'm I'm told that the uh, uh, the administration is interested in in you know maybe looking at this as, as something that ought to be uh, put into the mix. At the moment, as you know, Virginia has a five billion dollar surplus coming out of the uh, last fiscal year, which ended in June 30th, and and the the General Assembly hasn't decided how they want to spend it. The, the governor wants to spend a billion dollars in permanent tax reduction and and um the other side mostly just wants to spend it, spend it. Or, or give you little checks at in around october uh for some reason i don't know why our elections are this year by the way um uh, so i i think they're 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 kind of wrapped up in that at the moment and i haven't bothered people with it but i think there are thoughtful people that that do do want to do something here. So um, how would you do it? It just didn't work. How would you design it? Oh, you know, it was interesting. Tennessee, of course, did it and they weighted their student funding depending upon the rural areas. Me, it, they, they weighted it for limited English proficiency. They, they weighted it for low income. They also had additional pots of money for, uh, uh, for those who want to start a new program, there was one-time funding. So I, what I saw in that was was something that was developed after a lot of um, uh, wheeling dealing isn't the word, but after a lot of input and, and figuring out, you know, who you needed to satisfy. Certainly, certainly students that are hard to teach, that are demonstrably harder and more expensive to teach, there ought to be a premium for that from. Right from the state. There ought to be, um, I think rural areas have a have a case to be made. We've got, uh, as, as you may know, we've got at least one school system that has fewer than 300 students in it um, yeah. because the constitution decides how the school divisions will be broken up. Uh, you know, the overhead for that is going to be a lot more than for Fairfax County where you've got and proportionally a lot. How more. many students in Fairfax County? I think it's 180,000 now, something like that. It was 160 when I left, but I think it's, it's insane. It's, of course, they lost 10,000 during COVID, and I don't think they know where they are. But um, yeah, there's that. Um, does Virginia have hold harmless for counting kids? Do you get to count them after they leave? Um, I think there's a very short period of time for the for okay. the state. You know, for the feds, I think it's a three year hold harmless, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well, the title people think that the federal government has a program where poor kids get money um, at their school. And uh, <laughs> that is I will just say for the record, that is not true. I've written two papers on that one. And the formula for Title One, there's four programs under Title One and uh, attached to my paper is a probably uh, maybe six or eight pages of uh, formula like Greek symbol sigma like formula that you have to follow through to be able to do it and at the time i left the department of education two people ran the sas code that um determined how much title one funding each district gets and they knew how the code worked but you couldn't really follow it through to any particular district and it's just like the virginia system where i think that a school district financial officer gets the check and says 
I guess so. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Oh, that must be the number because it's pretty close to last year. So I guess that's it. They You could not predict what that number is going to be. There is not information available to predict that. So, uh, you know, you just take it on blind faith. And that is not how we should be funding uh, this in incredibly large sector of our, <laughs> you know, of the public sector. So but that's what we're doing. And I just think that... Um, God forbid you look at the payoff you're getting for all the money that's going into the system because, you know, Virginia hasn't improved their academics, right? As far as no, I can we've, tell. We've actually gone, well, that depends on how you do it. I I, I was president of the State Board of Education as we were entering the, the McAuliffe years. And you could see that, um, in fact, I think I was the last Mc, Bob McDonald appointee to, to leave, to cycle off. Uh, you could see the process beginning of devaluing the uh, the standards that schools. So they watered them down. So they watered them down. Even so, when you look at our scores on the National Assessment of Educational Pro, they, they have plummeted. And I think I think don't hold me to it. I think our scores in reading this year went down more than any other state. Oh, um, I did see a press conference just after with your State Board of Education, like. It feels like somebody wants to take it on, at least. We, in Missouri, we're just like, we did pretty good. And um, they're like, maybe we don't look at proficient. Maybe we should look at basic. I mean, I've. Uh, it's incredible that they are like, this just shows that things are working. And our scores also plummeted. Well, there, there is, I mean, you know, in 2009, we, we did a uh, uh, we did a, a poll with Ed Choice, and, and they came back. And the question was, what's, what's the perception of... Uh, Virginia's education system and it came back they they called me up and they said we've done 15 of these in 15 states and this is the first one where we went over 50 percent there's there's always been a, a perception in Virginia that the system is pretty good and and to a large extent I think that was because you have so many people crammed into Fairfax and and Loudoun and Arlington and you reasonably good school systems when you when you compare them to other school systems in other areas of the country um th they are good i mean it's hard to say they're not but they have declined and they've declined i think uh for a lot of reasons some of them political philosophical some of them uh because there's there's no way to really sort of judge what you're doing uh there's no incentives for it one of the things i liked about tennessee was that part of one of the pots of money they set aside in their new processes is to reward school divisions. If you've got a child who's gotten an industry uh, credential or you've got a child that passed AP or IB, or you know, there, there is a system. You set the targets, the child makes the target. There is a reward to the system for helping that child make that target, which is a third-party credential target. It's not you know, the schools, the teacher gets to say, oh, well, we'll get more. So we're going to say, yeah, you're you're you made it. No, it's a, it's a third party. Um, so I think that that there's a lot that, that can be done here. Uh, I love that system of paying districts, teachers and kids for AP passing and industry yeah. recognized recognized credential getting. And in states that have done it, they like uh, they've seen 
massive increases in the number of kids who pass AP tests or get IRCs. Uh, Missouri does not have anything like that in place at all. And uh, I think that there's that would be, to me, an important component of redoing any funding formulas, putting financial incentives in place. I mean, right now we do what a lot of places do, which is like the worse the district does, the more money that they target to it. And it's just kind of like they put more good money good money after bad or, you know, so it's like, well, this district's performing really, really badly. That means they obviously need more money, which, you know, to me is just backwards logic, but I think there's a but lot the of worst part is they, 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 yes, more money, but you know, just, just doing what you've always done, you're going to get what you always got. Well, right. and, and that's the problem. I, I rarely object to spending more money to solve a problem. If you're going to try to solve it. Um, right. But but they're not in most cases. They're they're nibbling at the edges. They're rearranging the decks on the on the Titanic, the chairs on the deck of the Titanic. Right. And it uh, it doesn't work. Yeah, and then you end up with these convoluted things because you keep tweaking it year after year after year. But I I do think that there are a lot of opportunities, definitely in Missouri. Sounds like in Virginia to start over and to put it put together funding formulas that work for the system we have now, which is where kids are moving around all the time, and um, even within a single family, you might have kids going to three different schools because we know a lot more about like trying right. to match the kid to the experience than we used to know. Certainly when I was in school, my mom was just glad the bus picked me up. You know, she's like, as long as the bus picks you up and you're doing something all day. But now we know a lot more about matching a kid's experience to the school that they're in. And so I think, you know, there's going to be just a lot of opportunity for that. And I want people to start just kind of thinking about it. And I appreciate that you're talking about it too, because we need to start thinking about the billions of dollars spent on this enterprise and what we're getting for it and how it is really matched to the last century's school system. Like we right. really need to think about this right. and, and try to have the stomach to get after it and fix it. I hope Absolutely. so. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, we've got a very industrial, we have an industrialized education system. Yeah. You, know, you, you enter the assembly line at the at, at kindergarten and people reach in and, and put little parts on you and, and then spit you out at 12 years later, you're a fully developed, well, it doesn't work like that. Yeah, um, we actually do have a measure of college and career readiness in Missouri. And I'm not saying it's great. It's sort of a, a conglomeration of ACT and work keys and SAT and AP and ACCUPLACE or they, an ASVAB, the military exam, they sort of throw it all in together, the percentage of kids that got a passing score on any of those. And last year in our state of our students who walked out of high school with a diploma, 60% met one of them. And we're just like, good luck other 40%. I don't know, like <laughs> we we track it, but no one's really talking about the fact that our, we might have a workforce problem coming up. But um, anyway, thank you for coming and joining us and talking about it a little bit. I think that we're going to be hearing more about this in the future. And uh, I think we ought to do our best, Chris, to continue to try to educate the public. I think so. And I'm looking forward to working with you on it. Yeah, that sounds great. All right. Take Perfect. care. Thank you.